When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to recap another impressive nail-biting victory for the New York Giants as they top the Jaguars 23-17 in Jacksonville. They are off to a 6-1 start, matching their best start since 2008. And to put things in perspective, the Giants became the first team in NFL history to start 6-1 or one or better and have each of their first seven games decided by one possession. The six victories have been by a combined 27 points. None of those have been won by more than eight. So that should just sum things up in terms of what they've been able to accomplish through these first seven contests. Multiple ways you'd interact with us here on the program. 201-939-4513. That's option number one. Option number two, you can... Hide behind the computer, hashtag Giants Chat. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So I keep hearing the phrase, Paul, it's deja vu all over again because it is deja vu all over again. Every single game seems to be coming down to the wire. There's a few plays here or there that we could point to, and clearly there's tons of them that we could highlight against the Jaguars, but at least... Big picture, here we go, another game where the Giants, first of all, they didn't face a double-digit deficit, so it made it a lot more manageable for them to remain balanced. But I thought what was interesting, Paul, at the half, Daniel Jones had 22 pass attempts. And we talked about this at the pregame, that this may be a game where maybe they open things up a little bit more. Jacksonville, number three against the run. Maybe Saquon's more involved as a receiver. And you saw that they came out. And they threw the ball, and they got off to a really good start with Daniel Jones hitting Darius Slayton. Second half, though, Daniel Jones only has eight pass attempts, and they started to now return to their bread and butter. Each of them, clearly Jones and Barkley, over 100 yards. But when it looked like a little shift in the identity, they still were able to hang their hat on what has pushed them forward in those previous six games. You know, Lance, um, I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record, but it's okay with me. I know if people are tired of hearing it, but this team still believes in old-school football. 
You know, you mentioned the running game. There's no question about it. It's it's physicality, and it's running the ball. It's staying balanced. It's like, okay, we'll use the pass to set up the run, and that's okay. You know, a lot of people will say, well, oh, you know, uh, the strength of the uh, Jaguars' defense is their rush defense. So how could you possibly expect that you're going to win the game by running the football against a team that was only given up, what, 88 or 89 yards 89 a game yards. on the ground, yep. right? I mean, some people would look at you like you got three heads. But the Giants were like, no, 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 you don't understand. We're the New York Giants. That's what we do. We're physical in the run game. We've got a superstar running back. We've got a quarterback who has running ability. And that's how we win games. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll open it up a little bit early on. But when push comes to shove, as long as we can keep the, the score manageable, and as you said, they never got down, uh, you know, double digits again. This is, this is the key to every Giants game. They get down by three scores, they got to get away from it. But as long as they can control the tempo and the flow of the game and keep it within the boundaries of manageability, they are going to be able to go back to leaning on the physicality of their run game. And that's what won this game again. I know there are a lot of different plays and kooky things that happened and stopping, you know, Kirk at the one. I get all of that little stuff. But when you talk about the tempo and the control and the flow of the game, in all honesty, it was the fact that their ground attack and their physicality was really what dominated the tempo of the game in the second half. And impressive also considering they lost two starting offensive linemen in the process of this game. And Ben Bredesen and Evan Neal, you had Josh Azudu come in, as well as Tyree Phillips. And no definitive updates on either one of those players. Brian Dable didn't have that intel after the game. I'm sure when he addresses the media later today, perhaps he may have some new news. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen some reports circulating with respect to Evan Neal, and I can only go by what's out there. There's some reports about it's maybe an MCL injury, but the Giants are not revealing anything at this point, so anything beyond that would be speculation. But getting back to the point at hand, Paul, the reason why it's impressive is you lose two offensive linemen. You're still able to run the ball, and I'm not surprised with how the second half played out because when we were talking about this game last week, we had referenced the Colts game last week. Matt Ryan threw the ball 58 times. He wasn't sacked, which was an outlier in itself. And right. the Giants, there was no way they were going to put Daniel Jones in a position, regardless no. of how many throws he had in the first half to get up to that point. You figured eventually the numbers were going to balance out because the Giants, they have an identity. The Jaguars knew they wanted to run the ball. The Giants knew the Jaguars knew that, yet they still didn't get away from that game plan. And if you've watched the first six games, once again, it's played right into that line. Lance, I know you're going to agree with me on this a thousand percent, not just a hundred, but a thousand percent. Wow, that's some bold statement. Yes. If Daniel Jones were to throw the ball 40 times for 425 yards, the chances are the Giants lost the game. Sure. It's no just disagreement there. Yeah. Right? It's that simple. That's not what this team is about. And they're not going to do it just to satisfy fantasy football people. They're going to play hard, physical, grinded out football. And look, I'll make it clear again. I wish they did not have to rely on Daniel Jones' legs as much as they do. Okay? 
I, I'm, I'm making that clear, folks. I think Daniel Jones is the perfect fit for this team right now. I think he's doing a sensational job. He was marvelous again yesterday. But do I really like seeing him run for 100 yards? No. I think it's risky business. But that's a risky road the Giants have to travel down now to win games. Maybe at some point in time, their line will be even more dominant and they will have a short passing attack full of receiving weapons that can use that to such an advantage that they won't have to go down this risky road as often as they do asking Jones to run the ball. And it's a very fair point. And we talked about this in the offseason. I want to actually bring up some numbers which I think tell an awful lot. And granted, you know, Paul, he's missed games in the past, but I can't remember him having this many carries and rushing attempts through the first seven games of the season. He's at 58 already, Paul, through seven games. His career high was in 2020, 65. He's going to shatter the level of carries in a single season, and he's going to do that. He's going to surpass that total in all likelihood by the time we get to the bye week following yeah. the Seahawks game. It's very feasible he gets seven runs next week, maybe eight to get to 66. So that means we're going to be not even at the midway point of the season, and Daniel Jones is going to have more run plays than he's ever had in any single season this year. If that doesn't tell the whole story of what you're talking about, then I don't know what does. But you know what, Lance? It comes down to this. They just don't have enough of a level of talent of course. spread out across the offense that they can afford to get away from that. So what you do is you cross your fingers, you call the, the quarterback options, you call the bootlegs, you watch him run for 15 yards, you hope he slides down, you hope he doesn't get hurt, and then he lives for another play. And then if you got to do it again later on in the series or later on in the drive, and he rips off another 12-yard run, you smile and you say, thank you, Daniel, please don't get hurt. We may need to call on that play again. Knock on wood, he has been able to hold up with the exception, of course, the ankle injury that he had to overcome earlier this season. And I'm sure he's still at least dealing with some effects to that degree. But if he can be able to prove his durability week in, week out, they know it's a weapon and they're going to continue to lose, utilize him because I think what caught the Jaguars off guard was a little bit similar to what we saw in the Chicago game. There was some misdirection. They were thinking Barkley's got the ball, and all of a sudden Daniel decides to come out the opposite way. And when you have to account for two different runners who play two different positions, who have two different styles, who also have very different makeups in terms of their frames, it puts an added stress on the defense. And I was reminded a lot about the Chicago game, what was occurring in the second half, because Jones ran for 35 yards on the go-ahead touchdown drive. He did a yeah. lot of the heavy lifting, Paul. Yep, yep. No, hey, Lance, look, if you're going to go against a team that's going to stack the box and do as much as the Jaguars have been doing all season, they've been number one in terms of stacking the box, right? Yep. You know that to loosen them up and get your ground game to the level where it's got to be to make you comfortable, you're going to have to do a few things. Either A... Throw the ball real well early, and the Giants did a little bit of that enough. I mean, Slayton caught that touchdown on the opening drive, which was really nice. You've got to be able to run to the outside with speed, or you've got to be able to counter. 
Use counters to where, you know, you're blocking one way and you're going the other. And you were talking about the ball fakes with Jones. How many times did he ball fake it for, for Barkley going one way and then he took off the other way exactly. on a counter? Those, those are your three major ways that you can still run the ball, you know, by loosening up that tightly packed box defense. And that's what the Giants did. This coaching staff is so fundamentally prepared. They understand exactly what the fundamentals are. Again, they're not as much about bells and whistles and fireworks. These guys, they're digging into the very roots of football. And I, and I, it, it's so much fun to watch. It's not about optics and flash. It's about results. If it's got to be ugly, so be it. If it could be a little pretty here and there, so be it. They're not interested in style points, nor should they, because it has no reflection on the standings. And that actually is a beautiful transition to the defensive side of the ball, because this is going to be a game that I'm sure Wink is going to have a lot to talk about with his unit. Brian Dable, when he spoke to the media after yesterday's game, You know, he certainly wasn't doing jumping jacks. Not that that's Brian Dable's style, but one of the first things he pointed out was we gave up too much yards was pretty much a direct phrase. And if you look at the final statistics, it's warranted to mention that. Jacksonville had no problem moving the football. The biggest difference is, okay, 452 yards for the Jaguars, then passing game 310 to 200. Giants obviously outran them, but it reminded me a little bit of the Baltimore game, where statistically speaking, the opposition got the better of the Giants in a lot of categories. Well, then how the heck did the Giants walk away with a W? And I'm going to go back to my favorite term, which was last week, red zone. I think red zone efficiency and the lack thereof was another huge difference maker because the Jaguars, two opportunities, one in the first half, Paul, you got Travis Etienne, He's going to at least get taken down at the five-yard line of the Giants. Right. But he loses the ball. McKinney makes a great play. Julian Love picks up the fumble. Okay. At worst, say maybe we talk about three points there. I know it's the coulda, woulda, shoulda game, but I think they feel good with how they were moving the ball at that point. They feel good about we should be able to punch it in. Then, of course, the game-ending drive. Christian Kirk has stopped at the one. So those are two opportunities that you had knocking on the door. They had five trips into the red zone in this game, Jacksonville. They walked away with just two touchdowns. And I understand the Giants' numbers weren't pretty. They were one for five. Though, context is important. One of the red zone possessions, the fourth down play put them in the red zone. So you really can't classify that. They truly had four red zone possessions. But I think the defensive stops in the red zone And then the timely touchdown of Daniel Jones reaching over the pile, getting in. It wasn't so much the numbers telling the whole story, Paul. It was when in the game you needed a play or you needed a stop. I think on both sides of the ball, they were able to answer the call. Well, let's go to about 11 and a half minutes left in the game. Jacksonville's up 17-13 and they're driving. I don't think there's a Giants fan in the world who who thought that on fourth and about a yard, I mean, I don't know exactly what it was. I mean, I was on the Giants' sideline. I was not on the line of scrimmage at the time. So I don't know if it was exactly a yard or more like two and a half feet. But, you know, on third down, they try Etienne up the gut. Yep. And then on fourth down, they try the quarterback sneak. And I'd be damned. This defense wasn't giving up that yard. They were just they not going to do it. the offensive line into Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's ridiculous. I was just talking to John before we got on the air. And I said, John, you know, pick out one or two guys if you want to. That's fine. But 
there was like seven guys. There was like a village yeah. of crushing the line. Not a lot. I mean, Jalen Smith, Landon Collins, uh, you name it. Ryder Anderson, for God's sakes. It was a village. And and there was a, a way in hell Jacksonville was going to get an inch, never mind a yard. That's That's unbelievable. So you're right. They picked their spots to really lock down. Um, and even the, t- the, the the last touchdown attempt, Kirk catches the ball at the one-yard line. Moreau comes up, you know, sticks him to give him the body shot to stop the momentum. And then Love and McKinney begin the wrap-up before then the rest of the bodies start to converge. Hustle to the ball. I mean, what <sighs> – if you're a defensive coordinator, you look at those two plays, your tongue's on the floor. You're salivating. You need a napkin to wipe up your, your face because you're just you're foaming at the mouth from the love of what you're seeing. Um, at the same time, you're 1,000% correct. They gave up much too much yardage during this game. They had five drop passes that I counted on offense, including that one play on the goal line, which – May or may not have been a touchdown if he had been able to catch it and maybe lean himself in. To Marcus Johnson you're referring to. Marcus Johnson, who's got three drops now in the last two weeks, um, which is a bit concerning, I believe. Um, But so the drops, there were three, I thought, interceptable passes where Lawrence just lofted the ball up there and threw it in danger's way. And there were no Giants to be able to pick it off. Uh, they gave up far too many, I thought, short yardage plays where uh, – short passing plays, I meant to say, where I didn't think there was a defender nearly as close in terms of trying to contest the catch. So there were a lot of things not to like, but I think it's interesting to note that, you know, Coach uh, Martindale, he pulled back this week. Once again, he changed. The chameleon changed again. And here we are in game number seven – and he decides he's not going to be aggressive. And they're not going to blitz 45% of the time against Trevor Lawrence, even though he's a second-year quarterback and should be so green behind the ears that you could really mess him up. No, he decides that in this game, we're just going to play back, we're going to play more safe, and we're going to try something a little different. I mean, holy smokes, it nearly backfired. But... They did what they had to do in spots, and I did think the pass rush in the fourth quarter was significantly better, and especially on the last drive. I mean, there were a couple of crazy penalties in there. I, I mean, oh, yeah. Moreau, Moreau's interception, how'd they take that away with, with, with the call on Belton? Tough call. There were a lot of tough calls in this game on both sides, I would say, because remember the Oluokin roughing the passer, and I'm yeah. not saying that it wasn't, but that wiped out a Daniel Jones interception. It did. And I would, I would argue, Paul, I don't know where you saw it angle-wise, but you go back, you watch that replay, I thought Jones got rid of the ball before the roughing the passer, so I'm not saying that it wasn't justified. My point is I don't think the roughing the passer impacted the throw. That's what I'm arguing. If I agree, I agree with that. that. Now, I'm, I have not gone back through the whole game tape yet. I actually only went back to specific plays because I wanted to see them. From the field... When he was hit, now you tell, you have to tell me this, Lance, because, again, I, I haven't been able to study it. Yeah. I thought that the linebacker top of his helmet hit Jones right underneath the chin. It did. And, 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 and he did click him in the face mask, did he not? 100%. No, it was justified. It was so it is a penalty. Passer. 
It, it was is a absolutely a penalty. I'm not disputing that. What I'm saying is, is that you could argue, you know, normally you say, well, roughing the passer impacted the throw, meaning that's why the interception was thrown. I think if you go back, Jones, to me, gets rid of the ball, then he yeah. takes the hit from Oluokin. I agree. That's my point. I agree. Yeah. So, you know, those ebbs and flows that we're talking about, I thought were really a combination of both sides. But, yeah, there were a lot of penalties on the Giants' final defensive possession, which helped Jacksonville move the ball. But you know what? They overcame them. They still found a way to make a stop on Christian Kirk. And then you had, remember, all those Jacksonville penalties before Daniel Jones got the touchdown, Paul, because they were just hoping to get a jump to force a loss of yardage. So you figure, all right, you tell your guys jump. And they had encroachment. They had too many men on the field. And yep. you know the Giants still were able to punch it through. So I thought that was a positive development, that you don't get flustered by the officials throwing flags, whether it be for you or it be for the opposition. Lance, I, I just – it's like every week this is such an interesting team to watch – and I, I just put up a, a momentary notice uh, on Twitter before the uh, the program started, uh, just a, sh- a short time before. And it's really true. Every week, there's like a revolving door of somebody on the depth chart who steps up and winds up doing something important. Tyree Phillips, you know, this guy comes from the Ravens. We never gave him a second thought when he made the 53. Nobody's ever talked about Tyree Phillips. Hell, Devery Hamilton has been ahead of him as the third tackle on the depth chart for the full first month of the season. Seriously. Would well, you, he was uh, a late claim, Phillips, remember, right, Paul? He wasn't right. here during the spring. They got him from Baltimore. Exactly. So they get him from Baltimore as a third-round pick from, I think, 2020, I think, if I'm not mistaken. A few years back, yeah. And, and he had started uh, uh, like a dozen games, had had a number of injuries with Baltimore. Yep. They let him go. Giants pick him up. We all assumed that Wink might have had some kind of pipeline to getting him up here. But in any event, so for the first month of the season, he's not even a, 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 a blip on the radar, right? And Devery Hamilton, we all assume, well, until Matthew Pert gets ready, Devery Hamilton's going to be the third tackle. Well, now here we are seven games into the season. Now, Phillips had a couple of snaps as the extra tackle last week. But that's not obviously what we're talking about here. We're talking about being the, quote, third tackle. And all of a sudden, Neil goes down, and you're like, oh, my God. And he comes in, and what happens? The damn damn running game continues to flourish. And Phillips doesn't get his name called at all. And that's what you want as an offensive lineman, right? You want to be invisible. You do not want to be the story of the game. And and you know what? That makes him the story. That makes him one of the stories of the game. He stepped up and he did his job, and he was good. Meaning, you don't want to be the negative story. I guess I should have prefaced exactly. it by saying yes. Exactly. So big, big props to him. And prop once again. I mean, Nick McLeod. You know, to flex that extra point. Yep. I mean, it didn't turn out to be the difference in the game, but no. But these things add up, though. Probably, right? Is what Moreau, you're to. Moreau, yeah. McLeod, Phillips, Jalen Smith, Landon Collins. All these guys making plays. What about Chris Myrick when Bellinger got Chris hurt Myrick. too? There's another go. guy. Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's just keep pulling him out of the hat. It's it's unbelievable. Sure. Speaking of guys stepping up, and I mentioned Myrick, want to at least talk about Bellinger a little bit. We were focusing on the offensive line, of course. A very scary situation with Bellinger. He had to go to a local hospital. Brian Dable said his eye looked terrible, but he 
did return to the locker room to celebrate with his team. He flew back with the team, and he's going to see an ophthalmologist today. So hopefully he will be on the road to recovery. It was one of those plays where, Paul, I don't even think describing it. When I was on the Giants Radio Network postgame show, I said he wasn't poked in the eye. He was hit in the eye, period. I mean, the whole hand went inside the helmet, and he took more than just, you know, somebody taking your finger and poking you in the eye. So I mean, it was a really scary situation. You don't see guys carted off the field over an eye injury very often. So thank goodness that he was able to get checked out and that he was able to travel back with the team. And hopefully once again, it won't be something that, forget football, that will impact his life moving forward because Bellinger has been one of the bright spots, not just with respect to the rookie class, but the entire team. He's pretty much stepped up on a consistent basis yeah. week in and week out. No doubt about it, Lance. And when he went down and then he immediately grabbed the sides of his helmet with his oh, hands, yeah. I had thought that, that somehow he had gotten shaken up with like a concussion, right? Because he's feeling his helmet. I never in a million years from the sideline thought that someone had gotten their hand inside his face mask. And so, um, yeah, that's just well wishes for him. I remember Brian Williams, the first uh, former first-round pick out of Minnesota, giant center, was supposed to be a great, great player, was going to be a stud for years and years to come. He wound up getting jabbed in the eye, and it, it impaired his vision, and he was never the same player ever again after that. Still came back and played a few years with the Giants, but uh, it sidetracked what should have been, I, I think, a potentially Pro Bowl career. So let's just see what happens with Bellinger. I wish him the best. So Bellinger and Ben Bredesen, as well as Evan Neal, those are the three players to come out of Sunday's game with injuries. Brian Dable perhaps will address all three of them a little bit later today. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. You know, hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you know have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. few reminders. Giants Huddle Podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to that. The podcast features a rapid reaction right after each game with one of our analysts. An episode midweek featuring an interview with a national analyst. And then a game preview featuring a long-form interview with a current Giants player. An exclusive sit-down with 
Bob Papa and head coach Brian Dable and an opponent preview of that week's opponent. You can search for the Giants Huddle on your favorite podcast platform, or you can listen on the Giants app as well as Giants.com slash podcast. Also, don't miss Giants football at MetLife Stadium. Limited tickets are available for all remaining home games, including a matchup with the division rival Philadelphia Eagles. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to find your game this season and secure your seat. And last but not least, the Giants' official connected TV streaming app is Giants TV. It brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. Let's open up the phone lines as we continue to recap and break down the win over the Jaguars in Week 7 on Sunday. Rich is in Williamsburg. He gets us started here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Rich? Uh, good afternoon, Lance and uh, Godfather Dettino. Uh, another great Monday in, in Giants Nation. Uh, Paul, i got to call in and give you a huge compliment. Uh, like You know I've watched every game since 61. So uh, you told me in the summer, write it down, put it in your wallet. The Giant offense will be different. It, w- it won't be what my crew calls SOG, same old Giants. You know, Vanilla, we could predict uh, – Every play, if they ran a trick play, it was an act of God, et cetera, et cetera. You're right. This team is actually fun to watch. Uh, Kafka has done a magnificent job matching the skill set with these kids and using, you know, he's squeezing out as much blood he can out of their, out of their skill set. And I just, they're fun to watch, although every game is a cardiac arrest. <laughs> but uh, gosh, it's, it, it's, uh, I know I'm, I probably speak for, most hardcore Giants fans, this is such a breath of fresh air. So, Paulie D, the godfather, you were right on me. Well, Thank you, so you know, much. Well, you know what? I, I can't take credit for that because I think it was so obvious to all of us that when Kafka and Dable were coming here that things were going to be different. I, I, don't, I don't think that was pretty you know, difficult to, uh, to ascertain. But here's what I will say is surprising, that these two high-powered – offensive products from Kansas City and Buffalo would wind up just dressing up old-school, physical, hardcore running game football. That's the surprising part about it all. And that, to me, has been the most enjoyable aspect of watching this offense. I also think what also stands out, and Saquon Barkley actually spoke about this after the game, but even Kafka did a nice job on this topic during the week, they have various options off of the same play. And they'll go back to the same play within a game, but just when you think they're going to do the same thing all over again, they're going to run some other option or other variant off of it. And I think that is something also that jumps out about the offensive game planning and the coaching staff to be able to dress things up, keep defenses on their toes, but be able to utilize it again throughout a game. Yeah, right. Well, great. And it's just even more exciting. I'm, Really excited about this young man, um, Wendell Robinson. You can see that he he brings a spark. He's kind of like a you remember Dave Meggett. And if we ever get Tony back in there with the, with his oh skill man, set, right? You know, I mean, I, you know, these the injuries are unbelievable as part of this team. It's like a mash unit all the time. And now with these two starters, what was great yesterday is you got Zuzu coming in there, and we know he's got some issues. He's a developmental kid, great run blocker, and then you got. Some guy we didn't even know Phillips that takes Evans' place, and holy cow, they they, they, they didn't miss a beat. 
Yeah. They really didn't. We weren't talking about the pressure situation yesterday for both sides, and obviously you want to see that improve for the Giants because Trevor wasn't sacked. I'd appreciate the phone call, Rich, but the offensive line did not become a negative storyline. It didn't overwhelm the second half. They actually got stronger with respect to their rushing attack. So I think that was an encouraging sign and fits the bill of what we were talking about, that guys are stepping up across the board on the roster. As far as Wondell Robinson goes, well, we've been talking about this ever since they drafted him. He's a yak guy. And unfortunately, he went down with a knee injury in week one against Tennessee. But the way to open up the passing attack is you don't need Daniel to throw the ball 40 to 50 yards down the field. You just need these guys that are shifty that could do some of the heavy lifting for him. And the last two games, Paul, we got a taste of that. Where Wondell Robinson, he could run a route, and then Daniel could throw it to him for 12 to 15 yards as he converted a few third downs and got the touchdown. Or... You can dump it off to Wandell for five yards, and he'll turn it into maybe nine or ten because of his ability to make people miss. I think the uh, the exciting thing about Wandell Robinson is that because he's built like a running back and was used as a running back at Nebraska uh, initially when, when he got into school, uh, I don't think we're going to question his toughness and his ability to either run running plays or to go over the middle. Uh, that's just not going to be an issue for him. Now, I know he was banged up, and he missed a little bit of time. I get it. Sprained knee's a sprained knee. That, to me, is not an injury where you say, this guy's not tough, this guy's not physical. No, not at all. You know? So, when I look at Wondell Robinson, yes, is he small in stature? I get it. All right? He's not a very big, tall, hulking guy. But you look at it, at, at he's built like a halfback which means he is going to be able to run all the different routes and do all the kinds of things that this coaching staff wants to do with him. And that's why, to me, I'm not even caught up in the size or the lack thereof. I'm caught up in, can the guy make people miss? And I think he's certainly capable of doing that, in addition to, of course, what Saquon could do now, that he's fully healthy. Because Saquon had another run yesterday where he had the Jaguars on slip and slide. I mean, let's face it, (laughs) Saquon went right, the defender went with him, and it was basically, it was the equivalency of, I didn't think that was going to get as big of a chuckle. I love that. I love that, Lance. Hey, feel free to adopt my jargon considering I've heard your onion and peeling back the layers a thousand times, so I feel free to dip into that. Please. It it reminded me of Saquon Barkley basically in basketball when you cross over a guy and you floor him, you floor the defender. Okay, like an Allen Iverson crossover. Sa- Saquon did that as a running back to the defender. Yes. Yeah, he did. He did. That's exactly and what he did. There so, were a number of cutbacks that he used, and this this is this is the Barkley, and of course he will tell you it's not just the Barkley, but it's the better Barkley that he was as a rookie, because he's got more experience now. And he's far more decisive. He really is. As a result of probably being fully healthy. And also, I'm sure it has something to do with a little bit more confidence in the guys blocking up front and sticking to the assignment. So those two factors have paid off big time. Let's head back to the phone lines. Hugo is in New Jersey joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Hugo? Hey, guys. Uh, Good afternoon. Uh, I want to make two points, but uh, just following up on Paul's comments, the last slot receiver that uh, had a build like a running back was Victor Cruz, who had you know just tremendous leg strength and was able to break some tackles. So if uh, if uh, Robinson can uh, you know duplicate anything that uh, Victor Cruz did, I think would be in a good spot at the slot receiver for a long time. But really, w- what I wanted to talk about 
was, you know, Paul, you mentioned that uh, Coach Dable wasn't happy. I think what struck me in the post-game uh, interviews is that a lot of the players weren't happy. I mean, uh, I think it was John who was interviewing Xavier McKinney about, you know, the last play of the game. And he basically said, listen, this was our worst defensive performance of the year. And I like to hear that from a player after a victory, focusing in on, you know, the improvements they need to make. And that's coming from a captain on defense. And it speaks to player accountability. And the fact that, you know, the leaders on the team are probably going to get on the other players to say, hey, we got to improve our, our run defense. So I, I see that as, uh, as very positive. It's not just coming from the coaches. It's coming from the players. Yeah. Well, and I so think the entire group of games should be a reminder of that. And that's why Brian Dable, that was the line I was referencing earlier that you're talking about, Hugo, where he first pointed out, he said they gave up too much yardage to the yeah. Jacksonville Jaguars, and he wasn't. If you go back, forget listening to him. Go back and watch the video on Giants.com. You know, Brian Dable's not smiling ear to ear. That doesn't mean that he's not no. happy his team won, but you could tell he felt fortunate, and that's my interpretation of it. I'm not saying that that's how he's feeling, but I think he felt fortunate that everything they went through, that it came down to a yard or an inch, essentially, and they were, thank goodness, able to execute. But when you play seven games decided by one score, and that's why we have been talking about this every single weekend, that there is going to be some times where the ball doesn't bounce your way. Can you walk that fine line? Can you continue to have it tip over in your favor? It is a very, very slippery slope when you play football like that. And I think Brian Dable and the rest of the team understand that. Julian Love added yeah. similar comments when he said the offense bailed us that's out right. today. He knew it. That's right. He was in on that last tackle with McKinney as well. And, you know, cite the numbers. The offense had 436 yards, 236 yards of rushing, and it was 6 of 12 on third down. Come on, these numbers in the past, they've been unheard of from this Giants offense. No, absolutely. And, and, and you know, it wasn't just on defense with people. Right? I mean, Barkley wasn't happy either. It wasn't just about going out of bounds. He wasn't happy with the way he was running. And, and I noticed that, too, in the first half. He wasn't, you know, he was dancing a little more. So I was glad to hear him say, hey, I got to do better than that. He knew. But, uh, he knew. Second point I wanted to make, and you know, you don't see this a lot around the NFL, is the way Coach Dable and the staff uses timeouts on defense uh, in critical situations. And, you know, it's good that, you know, they huddle up and talk about it on the sidelines and make sure they're in the right positions. But I think one of the, strategically, one of the things that does is it gives a breather to the pass rushers for those critical situations. It seems like every time they take those timeouts, Tabado like explodes out of his stance and, and gets and by the way, that guy's held like on almost every play. So I mean someone's got to talk to the refs before the game and look out for that. But uh, I, I you know, you don't see that as much around the NFL. And I, I think that's just, you know, very wise. Well, listen, so. there's a lot of emotion throughout the course of a game. I mean, even Daniel Jones got into it, and then, you know, he was asked questions about being annoyed with the inability to execute with Marcus Johnson. And then, you know, he said that he apologized, which I didn't think was necessary. It's an emotional game, I always say, and appreciate the phone call, Hugo. Thanks so much yeah, thank for you. joining us here on the program. Guys are going to get caught up in the moment. I don't think that's a bad thing. If anything, it's a good thing. These guys are not robots. They shouldn't be expected to be robotic during the battlefield that they have to play 
for X amount of minutes. So if he wants to get frustrated or another guy wants to be frustrated and he wants to talk to his teammate on the sideline, I, I think guys could feed off of that. Look, I don't think that's necessarily a negative connotation. Daniel needs to understand there's nothing wrong with a little flying oregano. Phil Sims used to do it all the time. He wasn't a crybaby. He wasn't a screamer because he just loved to scream. He wasn't a, a guy who was trying to show people up. Phil just allowed his energy and his emotion to dictate his actions. And on occasion, if it meant that he had to be a little bit more vocal, well, then so be it. As long as it's not contrived, if it's natural and it fits the moment, it's okay. We all love Phil Sims for the for, for that. Yeah. And and there's nothing wrong with Daniel Jones doing it too. No, not at all. And I don't think it was contrived. I think to your point, it was just the flow of the frustration and turning the ball over on downs and wanting to be better. It was as simple as that. I don't think he was necessarily doing it for the sake of the cameras. Let's and, head. And, the, and the reason, yeah. by the way, that we loved Eli for not being that way is because that was his natural way. Exactly. Once again, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't faked or forced. If that's the natural way that you're going to be a leader for this team, then that's what you better do. Don't try to be something that you're not. Yeah, don't be a rah-rah guy if you're not built like that. And Daniel, if you listen to him during the week, he's a relatively reserved, quiet individual. Doesn't give you a lot. <laughs> you <okay>? think? <laughs> yeah, well, I know I'm stating the obvious, but you know sometimes it's worth emphasizing it because the reason why I'm saying that, Paul, is I think people are reacting to it because they hadn't seen that out of him, even during a game. That was sort of out of the blue. But even though it was out of the blue, it didn't come off as... What is this here? You know, what's up with this dog and pony show? It wasn't a dog and pony show. It was just, once again, a natural form of frustration in the flow of the game. Let's head back to the phone lines. Dan is in Wallingford, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Dan? Hey, hi, guys. Hi, Lance, hi, Lance and Paul. Hey, hi. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm, a, I'm a giant fan from, um, I was a little kid usher in that Yale ball. And uh -oh. um, it's, uh -oh. it's fun to what. Uh, those it's those are rough watch, days, my man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. But uh, you know, it's really fun to watch the development of Daniel Jones, and um, how much you know how much more decisive he is, and he's getting rid of the ball so much quicker. But every week I watch the game, and one of one of my sentiments is, if he ever had the time that the other quarterback has, he would just be doing serious damage. So my concern is the pass rush. I think um, I think Thibodeau and Leonard Williams. Still, maybe favoring the knee, because, but I think they're going to come along, and um, you know the outside run too is getting us still. Yeah, but and that's exactly not, where I'm the not... Jaguars were attacking this defense. If you look, the majority of the plays were to the outside. They were attacking the edge of the defense. That's what they were doing. Yeah, and I think we're going to have to improve that when we play Philly and Dallas again. But. Um, I'm not too critical of the team. I'm very optimistic. They're doing a great job. Um, I was. I thought they're at the end of the third quarter. I was a little frustrated. I thought they should have took a field goal. I, at the, I You're talking about the drive the where the fourth down didn't it, convert to yeah. Marcus Johnson. Yeah, um, but uh, didn't come back to haunt them. But uh, that's about. You know, I, I love the show. I listen. I download it and then I listen to it at work. I think well, we you guys are great. That. Thanks yeah, for tuning in. Great, great job. Thank you. Well, Lance, you got it. Appreciate I want to talk about that fourth down. You know why? Because as soon as they got to that spot, it was it was second down and one from the two yard line. 
Remember the play? Well, I have second and two from the Jacksonville three. That's what I have on the. Yeah, breakdown. actually, it is. It is. Three. That's what you're I'm referring sorry. to. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I just I, want I, to I, make sure we're on the same page. That's all. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, I sometimes my scribble from the sideline is a little hard to read. All good. So we Barkley, won't hold it against you. So Barkley goes to left guard. Then on third down, it's an incompletion on a on a right rollout. He tries to hit Marcus Johnson, right? Yep. And then on fourth down, uh, is the the drop by Johnson. Now I will tell you. When it got to second down, after Barkley had a nine-yard run, I had said to myself, gee, I wonder if they don't punch it in here, is this four-down territory? And my immediate response before they even got to fourth down was, this is what happened a month ago when Dable was in a similar spot and he told his team, we're going to go for it, and they were all behind him. He's got to do it again. He's got to go for it again. So I appreciate the caller saying, I'd love to get the points there. Sure. But you know what? It's still third quarter. It's a, what, 17-13 game? Jacksonville at the time. Right? They were up by four. So yeah. uh, this goes back also, Lance, to what you keep talking about where they're facing manageable deficits. If they're down by 10 or 12, I don't know, maybe you don't do it. But you're only down 17-13. Show the guts. Show the fortitude. Go for it. Now, the only thing that I didn't care for, to be frank with you, was that on third down and fourth down, both of those plays wound up being passes to Marcus Johnson. Now, you know me better than that, right? You know what I'm going to tell you to do. Well, I thought you were going to throw in perhaps targeting somebody else, number one, or perhaps running it with Barkley. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. There's well, no I way one they, of those two is going to come up. My sure. my complaint would be, to be frank with you, my complaint, and even if it's not Barkley, I'll, I'll boot, or maybe I'll get Breed and Barkley on the field at the same time, and they've done that before, and Breed has wound up with the ball because of his speed to the outside. Uh, by the time they figure out the misdirection with Barkley, Breed is already gone. So, quite honestly... On third and fourth down, I probably would have tried running the ball on both times. But I can't say that the fourth down pass wasn't open because Daniel Jones put the ball right where it had to be, and Johnson couldn't hold it. Hey, when you look back, sometimes good decision, just bad execution. Just like when you describe a rule in the NFL, sometimes it's the right call, but it's just a bad rule. So I look at it as a very similar interpretation. Another type of play that I'm thinking of based on what you're describing is, if you remember against Green Bay when Brightwell was in, serving as a fullback for Barkley. You you could have some similar alignment where maybe you have Breida and Barkley out of the backfield and Daniel Jones, and then you have them thinking, geez, one of these three guys could easily take it, but who is it going to be? I think my feeling is they've shown enough of, of an effectiveness with their various run schemes and mixtures of personnel that I got to think that on, you know, three consecutive plays, even though Barkley was stopped on the first one, I got to believe that from the three-yard line, they can get that three yards with two plays. They've got enough of, of, of beef in their run game that they could do that. I just hated to see him throw the ball there. Well, and remember, if you look at what led up to that point on the drive, you had Breida ran for five, Barkley for three, Jones for 11. They had success throughout the drive to actually get them down the field, and then Barkley ran for eight to get them even yes. inside the five-yard line. So it wasn't like they were, weren't were having success is the point on the ground. 
in terms yep. of perhaps some options, even though the situation is now in a much tighter quarter. So there's my one second guess for the weekend, okay? I'm sorry. I hate people who second guess. I don't like to do it either, but I'm second guessing them there. Well, Actually, I'm first guessing them because you know me. I always want to run first. <laughs> the bottom line is, I think if you look back, it's consistent in terms of Brian Dable's decision-making. That's my takeaway. It's not something that he hasn't done in previous games in terms of the aggressiveness right. when they're that close. I'm and, certainly in favor of going for it. Let's put it that way. And kudos to the defense, by the way, for forcing a three and out. Yeah. When you had the Jaguars pinned back. That's the other layer of this. Now, the Giants wound up going five plays and punting after that, but the bottom line is the defense did sort of damage control where they didn't allow the Jaguars to seize momentum back. So I think that's just as big, especially after you fail to convert on the fourth down. Yep. Let's head back to the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Abdul is in Minneapolis, and he joins us. What's happening, Abdul? Hey, guys. So um, I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy, but uh, oh, I've boy. noticed something. Um, Never good when you preface it like this, bear, but bear, let's hear bear, bear with me. Yes. So with the emphasis of uh, uh, keeping the quarterback healthy, uh, do you think there's a, uh, a, uh, a mandate from the refs to uh, allow the offensive linemen a little more uh, uh, – a little more um, – so what, what, what are you talking about? Leeway, to get away with stuff leeway, in the trenches? Is that leeway? what you're referring to? Yes, a, 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 little, a little bit more uh, wiggle way to not calling holding, right? Um, I've not watched a lot of games besides the Giants games. I have kids and I have girlfriends, so one game a week I basically have. So I've watched the Giants game, and I've noticed, you know, all year some egregious holding calls that are not being called. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm sitting here looking at, then at the other end, these ticky-tacky, um, roughing the passer calls. And it seems like one game, okay, and, and maybe, maybe one referee team, but it's a different referee teams, and they're all, it's, it's just, you know, when the, when the uh, lineman gets beaten around the edge, it gets up around the neck, and they're, you know, they're dragging guys down every game and not making the call. They're not calling them. And it's like, okay, I, you know, is it something, you know, a or maybe maybe not, an official mandate, but just because the refs are, are being beaten to death saying you got to protect the quarterback, they are allowing this because they don't want the quarterback to get hit. I, so I, I think, you're, like, I think you're, you're coming up with something uh, out of thin air there. I honestly don't believe there's anything so? going Yeah, I don't think there's anything but, going on. I think what you have, have to understand you noticed, is it's a hard game to officiate, and these guys are doing the best they can, and God knows over the years I've been one of the harshest critics of the officials. But I don't think that in any way, shape, or form they're doing it on purpose. Yeah, well, you know me. I mean, I've been saying this time and time again. I'll defend the officials to the nth degree, mainly because I think it's a thankless job. I think it's a very difficult job. And I think we all have the luxury of seeing things in slow motion, instant replay, that they don't. And if you had that luxury, oh. it'd be a completely different perspective. Abdul, to answer your first part, number one, if you yeah. slowed down every single play on the offensive line, and I sat down with an offensive line coach and a bunch of other coaches, mm -hmm. they probably can make an argument that there is some form of holding by someone on every single play right. that has ever been snapped in the National Football League. Mm -hmm. So that answers, to yeah. me, your first part. Your second part, I will say this, because I've had some conversations, and I even actually recently spoke with Dean Blandino, who was the VP of officiating on my serious program, and 
they have conversations behind closed doors. There's points of emphasis every offseason. So I don't think that's a stretch to say, hey, this year we want to focus on these calls. We want to make sure you're looking out for those things. I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. But to think that they're going out of their way to call it when it doesn't warrant it, I would not go so far to say that. I think maybe it could be a subconscious um, result of being overly protective of quarterbacks is that they're giving them a little more protection. I don't know. It just seems like there's, uh, uh, as you said, I could be just looking at something that, you know, I'm finding annoying and, 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 draw, and drawing some conclusions that are not. Yeah, and I, I think there's some to I, that I, degree. Listen, it's a fair observation, Abdul, and we appreciate the phone call, right. but to take it to the level where you're going, as Paul mentioned, I don't think that's warranted. I just think it's the frustration building up and maybe seeing things that are not necessarily there. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Let's head back to the lines. Gary is in Florida joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Gary? What's happening, Lance? What's happening, Paulie Dot? I just want to talk about, I just want to talk about, um, I know Wink was talking about at home games on the fans bringing that energy, man. But I was in Jacksonville yesterday, man, and what what a great turnout by Giant Nation. I mean, I don't know, Paul, I know you were there over there by the medical tent standing and roaming around, but can you talk about the energy, man, that, that Giant Nation brought down there to Jacksonville, man? I know in the fourth quarter, man, it was loud, man. It really was. I mean, Lance, if, if you were to break up the stadium into four pieces, right, behind each end zone as two pieces and then the sidelines as two pieces, I'd say Giants blue – might have outnumbered in three of the four pieces, having the Jacksonville sideline the only part of the stadium where it was clearly dominated by their green teal as opposed to having just tons and tons of Giants blue. It was it was a very, very strong Giants representation. And look, I'll tell you one thing. We noticed it even at the last home game. And Lance can speak to this because obviously we're in the box too and, and uh, you know, he's there. Uh, the, the, the Giants crowd is, is starting to really get behind these guys. And that's something that uh, the coaches have asked for. And they've supplied some good football. They've supplied some exciting football. The fans have responded. And it's a reciprocal kind of thing. Well, before Matt Rule parted ways with the Panthers, he even acknowledged the fact that when the Panthers visited the Giants, the noise was a factor. He went on the record saying that the Jaguars had some issues with noise late in the game. Just look at some of the penalties that were picked up, whether it be a false start or something to that degree. Though I will say this, Paul, I think if you look at the track record of Giants games in Florida in general, and I think part of this is there's a lot of Giants fans who have moved down to that area. Oh, and I'm sure. talking about right. I'm not talking about just Jacksonville. You go down to the Bucks games in Tampa. It usually has a very strong Giants presence. Yep. So I think yesterday, and once again, I wasn't there, but I'm just speaking from my experience and what I've observed over the years, it seems to have fall, fallen right in line with what we've seen when the Giants do go down to that state to well, play the, games. Well, the reason is you get so many transplanted New Yorkers in Florida, and this is exactly. the Giants' only regular season game in Florida this year. In fact, not only that, uh, the Giants are not going to New Orleans. 
They're not going to Atlanta, you know, which are nearby states. So if any Floridians or Giants fans and transplanted, they can't even go there to see the Giants play. The closest, I guess, they could go, it would be what? Uh, Dallas probably, right? Maybe. I don't know. Nashville? That's still a hike. Yeah, Nashville. Nashville's good. Right? I mean, and that's it. So this this was the game that that, that all Giants fans of Florida, they were going to have to go to Jacksonville. And that's more of a reason yeah, why I, I think there was a great out, presence. Man. I had a great time. That's good stuff. Yeah, we appreciate the yeah, phone call, Gary. gentlemen. That's all I had today. Thank you so much. Yeah, you got it. Not a problem. Thanks for giving us a ring. Let's check in with Brandon, who is on the car phone on the way home from the game. So another individual who is front and center in Jacksonville. What's happening, Brandon? What's up, Lance? What's up, Paul? How y'all Hi. doing today? We're doing well. What do you got for us? Oh, good. It feels beautiful, first of all, to be driving home with the feeling of a win because had Kirk scored that touchdown, this ride would feel very different. Um, you guys kind of killed what I was about to say. What I was calling about was I went to Daniel Jones' first start in Tampa. I went to the last game we played in Tampa. I've been to all the losses in Jacksonville before. I went to the Dolphins' loss last year. And then normally, like you guys said, a lot of Giants fans, because there's a lot of New Yorkers in Florida, period. Yep. But right. Last yesterday, it was to the point that when I would say, let's go Giants, and I'm surrounded what it looked like by Jacksonville fans, it just radiated. And they tried to boo us out, but they couldn't. And when you left the stadium, I took pictures and videos. All you saw was blue. I, it felt absolutely like a home game on the road. Great game. I bought my kids. That was their first game to go to, so it was a great game for them to see. They were excited. Um, but the other thing I wanted to touch on was Daniel Jones. And I felt so confident going into that fourth quarter that my daughter was saying to me when they, on that fourth down, when they didn't make it, you know, the fans there, the Jacksonville people, they were real excited. And I said, baby, we're going into the fourth quarter. Watch this kid. Now, I've not been a big Jones guy to this point. But I won't lie to myself about what I'm seeing, and I'm not in such an eager mood to be right. I think Daniel Jones is a damn good quarterback. I'm not saying he's great. I'm saying I think he's really good. And I think that what you were saying before, Paul, I think Pat Shermer found something in Jones, which is why we saw the flashes. I think Brian Dable and Kafka have taken something and have actually mastered that and put Jones in a perfect position where not only is he, yes, he's running the ball, and I'm scared to death every time because the guy collapses or gets banged up and he goes down kind of rough, but when he's running the ball, in my opinion, he's running the ball decisively, he's great with the play fake, and even when he's running the ball and getting hit, he's not fumbling this time around. I feel so confident going into the fourth quarter with this kid. And I, like I said, I didn't feel that way last year. I didn't feel that way coming into the season. But I can't deny what I'm looking at. I think we might have hit on one with Brian Dable and Kafka and Wink. And I'm going to say this. I think Dave Gettleman, not drafting Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, did the right thing. I think Dave Gettleman bringing in Andrew Thomas, did the right thing and not worse. I think Dave Gettleman's draft may have been a lot better than a lot of people gave him credit for, including myself. And I just want to say one thing, and I'm going to close out. I love this show. Thank you all for keeping us going in the offseason. Hey, somebody tell that guy, Dan Arvlosky, 
that it's okay to say he's wrong. Daniel Jones <laughs> had 300 total yards and two touchdowns, yet he's still saying he has nothing to do with the win. Not that I care what he's saying, but you guys, I'm sure I have a better uh, way of getting it across. I don't have social media. Just somebody tell Dan, it's okay to say I'm wrong. Thanks, guys. Oh, Thanks, some great Keep points there, Lance. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Appreciate the phone call. Hey, Lance, you know, if you guys have a second, do you want me to ch- uh, chime in for just one second here? Sure. Well, what do you got? Real quick. I wrote about it today. It's hitting the website. Daniel Jones, I thought, in the first half, carried the team to 13 points. I thought it was his best game of the year. I thought he played really good football. But I, and they say, you know, the five fourth quarter comeback drives, but we've said it all year, right? The comeback drives in the fourth quarter has a lot more to do with the run game and Jones running it than Jones throwing it, which is a really funny dynamic. But he's always assumed the fourth quarter comeback is the quarterback gunning it around and throwing it all over the place. That really hasn't been the case this year. And again, that's not taking anything away from Daniel. He's playing well. He's making great decisions in the fourth quarter. He is leading the team. But it's been much more run-oriented comebacks than pass-oriented comebacks, which is really you know bizarro, but it's just kind of the way that the team has gone, right? Well, I mean, Fellas. 35 of the 79 yards on the go-ahead touchdown drive came from Daniel Jones's legs. So do the math. He's responsible for half of their yards, and he didn't throw it. He ran it. So, I mean, that to me is another perfect example. It goes down as a game-winning drive, but a lot of it is because of his mobility. Guys, you know what blows me away? And I agree with the caller in, in, in the points that he made, but the thing about Jones— I just sense he's playing with so much more confidence and assertiveness, and he believes in and is comfortable in this system and what they're running. And I will say this, and you guys, John, you may also want to chime in and disagree or agree. I don't know where you're going to go on this. But I could have sworn that all during the offseason, we were saying, well, hey, Dable, new staff, new coach, all right, but fellas, hold your horses because – it's going to take this quarterback time to get used to these guys. Uh, he's probably not going to be comfortable right out of the box. In fact, it may take him half a season. It may take him the whole season. And it may not be fair, but they may never be able to identify the best in Daniel Jones because he may not pick the stuff up as quickly as they need him to. And the truth of the matter is, exactly the opposite has happened. He's picked it up incredibly quick and he is comfortable and he is confident and it's working out i'm for one shocked by that dynamic i think we all hoped it would happen i just i just didn't think it would be this possible this quick well i think what's helped paul to be quite honest with you is that they haven't asked him to do a ton in terms of carrying the team on his own right so a lot of what he's doing is rpo something he's very comfortable with right play action passes two or three men in the route stuff he's very comfortable with you know and i think the way they're running the offense has allowed him to acclimate in a more measured way rather than saying, all right, week two, down three scores, go throw 40 times and win the game. You know what I mean? So I think the way they're playing has probably shielded us from maybe some of the stuff that he has figured out along the way and wasn't ready to operate at right away, which is, by the way, to Daniel's credit and to the coaching staff's credit. This is not taking credit away. It's giving them credit for doing that. Um but I, I do think the fact that it has been more of a, a run-centric game plan, they're not throwing downfield a ton, which, again, is the right thing to do. And Jones has been very efficient and making great decisions in terms of what they're asking him Valid. to do. So, yes, I, I, I agree with you, but I think the way they're playing has probably mitigated that problem a little bit, is, and, and, is what I'll say. And I think, and then Lance, I want to get your take on this. I think the other two factors that have dramatically helped 
is the offensive line has played better and quicker than anyone he could have anticipated, especially in the in the run game. And he's in the ball and, out quick too, and, Paul, by and, the way. Yeah, all that helps. And Charles Barkley, okay, Charles Barkley, let's just say it. There's no doubt. Besides the quarterbacks, if you want to put them in a separate category, Charles Barkley's the MVP of this league you right mean, now. You say, say yeah, I, I, was, I was trying to figure out where you were going with that. I was like, Charles Barkley's commenting on the wow. Giants. I didn't realize that. Well, that's just on, terrible. On the NBA on TNT, Charles had time to break down the Giants. That is that. just terrible. Just yeah. terrible. That was terrible. Yeah. That was very funny, by the way. Just, yeah, that was very funny. Saquon. I thought there was a punchline to this. No, you're right. Perking You're up right. a little bit. You're absolutely right. I'm getting carried yeah. away. It's Sa- Saquon. Saquon. Saquon's the MVP. He's been that great. He has impacted that much on this Absolutely. Season. The bottom line is they're doing a good job putting Daniel Jones in a position to thrive because I think they're protecting him, and he's protecting himself from making bad decisions. For example, there was a play in yesterday's game, and I was thinking back to the Tennessee decision when he threw the interception in the red zone. They were in the red zone again. He rolled out to his left. He threw the ball towards out of the end zone. Out of the, the back of the end zone. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of maybe the old Daniel Jones is going to try to press the envelope. But I think they're mentally enforcing this week in and week out. Daniel, if you don't have a play, throw it away. Who cares? We're not going to deduct points because your completion percentage goes down. It is what it is. And then we live to see another down. I think they're reinforcing that. They're emphasizing it. He's buying in. And they're showcasing him as a runner. And they're being able to win. Is the jury still out in terms of what Daniel could do if they do get into a situation where he's got to throw 35 to 40 times? Yes. I don't think that's a stretch. But right now, he's a perfect fit for what they want to accomplish and they are getting the best out of him. So it's, once again, a symbiotic relationship, and it's working very effectively. And if they can continue to stay within striking distance in all these games, they're not going to have to then maybe have that question be answered. But I think when you look at the flow of seasons and the flow of games, eventually Daniel Jones is going to be in that position, Paul, where he is going to have to spread his wings a little bit, and I think they're going to have to maybe have a better idea. Well, how can we operate? if we need to be a little bit more heavier with relying on the quarterback. Well, Lance, we all know that. We've been warning people of this now for a couple of games, if not longer. And what you would like to hope is that at some point in time, the receiving core is healthy enough, has got their rhythm going to such a degree that Jones will at least have an opportunity to do something with those guys. Slayton is obviously getting better as the season goes on. He's, he's now a part of this offense again. He's still bobbling too many passes, Paul. Even wow. on that deep touchdown, he, I think he caught that thing three times on the he way did. down yeah. to the car. Actually, that, that was, was a little right. bit of a juggling act. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that was right in front of me, and I disagree. I'll be frank with you. On that the video, right you see it come out of his hands I, on the I, way down. I, 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 that was right in front of me. I was two yards away from it. It was right in front of me. What happened was the defensive back had a hell of a position on him and made a really great play and did everything he could to punch it out, and Slayton refused to let the ball go. I see that exactly the opposite. No, but Paul, he caught it up in the air above the corner, and before the corner even contacts his arm, the ball comes out of his hands, and then he catches it again. Paul, I'm telling you, watch the video again. Maybe you should go back and watch that. Watch the video. The ball literally is in midair, and he has no hands on the football on his way down to the ground. It's unbelievable concentration, but he, he did bob one on the way down. Okay, I have not seen the video. 
All right, I did not see the video, but when the play happened live in front of me, mm-hmm. you're right, the ball was up, and when he brought it into his body, it was a phenomenal job. Oh, no, no, it, it wasn't once it got into his body, it was fine. It was the weight down from the above way, his on the head way he, to he his lost, body. He lost it on the way down. Yes, yes, I, and then I, he regained it. It was really unbelievable okay. concentration, to be honest okay. with you. All right, well, then, yes. you know, I'm still looking at it as a plus, but I guess there was a downside to oh, it Oh, no, also. it was still great catch. And by the way, <laughs> guys, the one thing we haven't mentioned, which is unbelievable with Daniel— and and I'm so, sorry for jumping in again, but what have we talked about for four years at nauseum here, guys? He's not turning the ball over. And I realize he's had, I think, three now this year that have been nullified because of penalties. I don't care. You know, he had two in this game. One, they, he knew he had a free play, so he held right. the ball a little bit longer. He got right. stripped, right? And then you had the interception, which you guys talked about. But he's not turning the ball over. He's protecting the ball. He's getting it out relatively quickly when he's not running those longer play-action plays. And he's making really good decisions. And what are we talk about all offseason? Consistent decision-making. And I think we're seeing consistent decision-making from him. Um, and the best decision-making that we've seen consistently over a period of games that we've seen so far in his career. Lance, back to your question, though. The truth is, yeah, they're going to need some more big play production out of that receiving room. And now, of course, with Bellinger down out of the tight end room for God knows how long, uh, that's going to be something they've got to find. So so either Slayton's got to start making more, and he's, he, again, he's shown some flashes doing it, and Wondell Robinson's going to have to continue to step up and progress real quick, and God knows if Tony or Galladay are ever going to get their act together because Daniel's going to need those guys at some point. He really is. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's going to be games where, especially if the defense has given up a lot of yardage, there's going to be teams that are actually going to be able to score touchdowns off of that yardage, and you may have to play a little bit of catch-up. So that's why I keep emphasizing that. And I think as far as the downside or the lack thereof, I should say, in terms of the turnovers, I think that's because there's just not as many pass attempts this season as we saw out of Daniel Jones in previous years. I mean, I'm bringing up the game log, guys, with respect to how many pass attempts he had in games last year. He had a 51 pass attempt game. He had a 41, 35, 37, 38. I mean, he's not coming consistently close to those numbers this season. So, once again, less you put it up in the air, less opportunities for the defense to make a play. So, I think that has alleviated because it hasn't given – the opposition many at-bats to perhaps go to work and try to create some of those turnovers. So once again, it goes back to the system protecting Daniel, his decision-making also protecting him from putting himself in that precarious spot. Let's try to finish up with one more call. We got Phil in North Carolina joining us. What's happening, Phil? Hey, guys. Great show today. Thank you. Um, real quick, a couple of things, and I'll get to my main point. The I thought the, um, as usual, we always have a complaint about these officiating calls, and I thought it was really poorly done with this officiating crew. And it, it's kind of sad that, you know, after every play, you look for the flag, you know? And uh, I, I, you probably have the stats somewhere, but the, I would love to know at some point what is the number of officiating calls that have, you know, the trends over the last, say, 20 years or 30 years or whatever how many calls are being made today as opposed to 20 years ago. Well, the rule book is also a bit more convoluted today. There's a lot of different intricacies to the rule book. I mean, there weren't these items that we look for today that refs have to know about that they were governing in the 70s and 80s. I'll tell you that. Okay, you know, roughing the passer and all of these things. You know, they didn't exist with the type of detail, the process of making a catch. 
You didn't have re instant replay. So, I mean, all of that is relative, keep in mind, Phil. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, that, and that's the reason why I'm asking, because it is very complex now, the calls. And, and uh, I know our friend from Minnesota, I thought, I know you, you didn't agree with him, but I thought it was an interesting theory on his part on what's happening. So uh, I'll get to my main point, which is uh, Daniel, uh, love what I'm seeing from Daniel. The one area I think he can improve on is a little bit more patience when the pocket allows you to be more patient. For example, on that uh, fourth quarter play, I couldn't agree more uh, when the, we should have ran the ball and give the ball, keep the ball in our, our playmaker's hands, either Saquon or, or Daniel. But on that throw to uh, Marquis, um, if he waited a split second longer, you see Wandell is wide open, right? And I don't believe he was getting rushed. So I always notice the, uh, you know, like, a, not that I'm a Brady fan. Obviously I'm not because I'm a Giant fan. But he's, he's a master of when he has a deep set and he has a big pocket, him being patient, you know? And I think that's something Daniel needs to work on, when to – he has to rush it when he doesn't have to rush it. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's all about, you know, once again, the timing of the play. I don't know. It's hard for me to comment and appreciate the phone call, Phil. Paul, when we hear from individuals and they say they went back, they look at the play, Wandell Robinson was open, and I have to go back and look at the play because I don't remember exactly where Wandell was on that play. But where is Wandell in terms of the read on that play? Is he the fourth read? Is he the fifth read? So it's understandable right. why Daniel may have not been looking at him at that time. If you don't know the order of the progression of the read, Correct. it's hard for me to sit here and criticize a quarterback for not throwing there if he has to go through X amount of players before maybe he would have viewed and seen Wondell Robinson on that. No, you're, you're making the, the absolute point that needs to be made, Lance, because the timing and the order – have to go symmetrically together. You can't just separate one from the other. It would be very easy on almost any given play sure. to say, well, oh, well, that guy was open and he should have thrown the ball to him. Okay, but, like, he was on the other side of the field and the third read on the right after the quarterback had two reads on the left. Yeah, so I mean, exactly on. how many of the, the 15 seconds do you think he wasted while he was in the pocket? <laughs> yeah, so all of those things are important. One thing I will say before we wrap up here with respect to maybe the larger point about Daniel Jones' decision-making, I do think when he's running out of the pocket, Paul, to extend the play. I'm not talking about running to run the football. I do think that maybe he's a little bit quicker in diagnosing what's out there, throwing the ball away, or maybe trying to avoid having a negative play. I think that overall has improved based on what we've seen through these first seven games. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think Daniel Jones has definitely done a better job, and quite honestly, so of the backs, uh, led by Barkley. Yep. Uh, and the O-line deserves credit for this, too. You have harped on this for a long time. you got to stay away from those negative plays. And, boy, they've done a really good job of doing it this year. Because you don't want those false starts, the holding calls. They always creep up at the worst possible time. And we haven't necessarily seen a lot of that. And I think that's another big reason why they've been at least able to close out games with some of these scoring drives as opposed to you get in the red zone and then you're backed up 10, 15 yards and you have to settle for a Graham Gano field goal. All right, that is going to wrap up 
Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Back up and running again on Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Today's episode, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to BBKL for all the If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l e e s a dot com slash slash iHeart.